Welcome to your province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. This is the final show with Premier Jason Kenney, but it may not be the final show of your province, your premier. By this time next week, Albertans will have a new premier following Thursday's election by the United Conservative Party of one of the candidates in the running for the leadership. So the opportunity is certainly there for the next UCP leader, our next premier, to continue this weekly broadcast, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, let's not waste the opportunity to hear from our outgoing provincial leader, Premier Kenney. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Wayne. Great to be back. Glad to have you here. Yesterday, we marked the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Today, with a number of events throughout the country, including here in Alberta. Now, in one of your last acts as Premier, you announced that the province will return a stone that is sacred to First Nations peoples, a meteorite, to where it had lain for millions of years before it was stolen in 1866, and that the province has committed to building a prayer center at the site near Hardesty. Now, I wouldn't think that this was a last-minute decision. It's been in the works for some time. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, actually, Wayne, I first read about the Manitou Stone and its theft uh, several years ago. And my, well, I was leader of the opposition, and I made myself a promise that I would do whatever I could to get it back to the First Nations and back to the place where it originally was as a centrally important and sacred site for the both Cree and Blackfoot people, uh, really associated with the whole history of the uh, buffalo hunt. In fact, there was a, a prophecy uh, a few years before it was stolen and sent to Toronto, another reason for Western alienation, um, before that there was a prophecy from a, uh, an elder that if the stone never disappeared, so too would the buffalo. And it, amazingly, uh, just a few years after the stone was taken, of course, the buffalo disappeared on the plains, and that led to poverty and uh, and, and so much tragedy. And so for, for years, they've been trying to spend it at the Royal Alberta Museum. It came back here in 1972, and they've been trying to send it back. Uh, sorry, it came back here. It's been for 50 years' efforts to find a way appropriately uh, to restore it, return it. But there were disputes, frankly, between different Indigenous communities. I think the government exploited that uh, to c divide and conquer and keep ownership of it. So I've spent quite some time, and there's been a, a recent serious effort to bring together the Cree, the Blackfoot, Treaty 6, Treaty 7, Saskatchewan and Alberta First Nations with the government. And I've been, I've, this has been a per deep personal priority of mine, and I frankly find it very uh, emotional. And we were able to announce this yesterday, joint stewardship agreement will go back to where it, this meteorite landed and where First Nations held sacred ceremonies near Hardesty, a really important symbol of reconciliation. But just two days before that, in terms of reconciliation, we under uh, wrote a $1.1 billion historic transaction, the largest ever uh, transaction in the natural resources industry for indigenous people in North American, perhaps world history, with 23 Alberta First Nations buying a large ownership stake in Seven and Bridge Pipelines. Right. And so uh, last night, Billy Moore, the former chief of Enoch, said to me, you know, the, the, the prophecy was if the stone ever comes back, so too will prosperity for our people. And these two things are happening at the same time. And I, I think that's just a, a, for the sadness of National Day of Reconciliation, we also have to be hopeful and look forward to the future. And that's exactly what we're doing. So many great things happening in our First Nations here. All right. Now, today's the day the province reinstates part of the fuel tax on gasoline. We talked about this on the show last week. It really shouldn't have come as much of a surprise to people because this was part of the deal when the policy was announced in spring, that it would be tied to the price of oil. Uh, nevertheless, you must be uh, appreciative that the partial reinstatement hasn't been well received, especially when we've been hit hard by inflation, food bank use is rising, seniors and others on fixed incomes are having a tougher time, there's fewer affordable rentals. What's the solution to all this? 
Well, please don't forget we're doing other things on top of that. So uh, we continue to have um, uh, gas tax relief. So we and that's set, coming up in uh, November now, right? Right. Well, I think so. So it's on a quarterly basis that we assess it. And the way it, what we announced when was that? Um, it, it, so first of all, our balanced budget was based on a seventy seven zero seventy dollar West Texas Intermediate oil price, uh, and it wasn't very balanced on that. It was like half a billion. And then uh, we said when we brought in the gas tax relief that if we were getting some decent surpluses from high oil prices and the province's fiscal, uh, you know, province's bank account was benefiting, that we would pass on some of that benefit to help people deal with the cost of living. We would say, we said that we would cut it in half if uh, the oil price was between 80 and 90 because that would mean we have a, a meaningful surplus and we would eliminate it if WTI is over $90. Well, it's now right now trading at $79 today. So um, the point is that our surplus is shrinking again welcome to the roller coaster of alberta's uh, public finances and we don't we can't jeopardize going back in the red uh we have to uh, protect uh, our ability to fund you know we're, we're spending more and more and more on health care to deal with the capacity issues um we, we you know we we have to have look albertans don't have a sales tax we have the lowest income taxes the lowest business taxes we have no payroll tax no land transfer tax no capital tax we have the uh, lowest cost of living of any large population province we have lower inflation than the rest of the country um and we continue to have gas tax relief we were also providing uh, price protection on natural gas prices and providing the um fifty dollar a month rebates on electricity prices so we are providing billions of dollars of, of of inflation support, but overall, we tax a lot less, but we still, regrettably, need the revenue to pay for the programs. All right, let's go right to the phones, uh, Mr. Premier. We'll start with Ron in Bonas. He's been uh, hanging on here since before the show started. So, wow. Ron, uh, go ahead. You're on with Premier Kenny. Thank you, Premier Kenny, for your service in federal cabinet and as Alberta's Premier. My question is of a fundamental nature. Why do we have a party system in government at all? The Northwest Territories does not have a party system. Their elected representatives try to serve all their people. I would be a lot more comfortable with our governance if I could hear a reasonable justification for the party system government's model. Next week, UCP party members will again choose a premier who becomes premier without having been elected, first of all, by the people. Fifth time in the last seven uh, conservative premiers in Alberta. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. It's a really interesting question, and I think the answer is a lot bigger than Alberta. Uh, organized political parties in representative democracies really started in the late uh, 1700s into the early um, uh, 1800s and in Britain after the French Revolution, or actually before, even before that, uh, throughout Europe that had parliaments and, um, and, of course, in the United States. And, uh, you, you, you know, it just seemed inev it seems inevitable historically that like-minded people, once elected, even as independents and on, not on a party ticket, end up getting together, cooperating, 
um, and and typically voting as a block. And and that's really the, the natural, organic, spontaneous way that political parties started in many representative democracies a couple of hundred years ago. And I, I'm just not sure how you could, like, step in and prevent that. Uh, um, in places like the Northwest Territories, these are very small legislative assemblies. They're more like city councils. I think they have, like, 20, you know, 15 or 20 members. And... Um, and and so and, and to be honest, a lot of the issues are not, if you will, ideological. So there's not like a natural coalition that gets formed on issues. But uh, you know, I think you've raised some interesting questions about uh, party governance and, and all of that. Um, as I've said before, it, it is. Some people might think it's peculiar that a premier who won an electoral mandate with over a million votes uh, could uh, essentially be fired not by the voters, but by, in this case, I decided to step aside after about 15,000 party members got involved. And, and in fact, over half the people voting in the UCP leadership review had never before been members of the PC Wildrose or UCP parties. So there's always an opportunity for people from outside a party to come in and and uh, and change the direction, uh, not just a party, but in this case a government. And I think those are valid questions to debate. But I look, I'll let other people take that take up that debate in the future. All right, we're going to pause for a break right now. You are listening to your province, your premier. You can call or text in Calgary. The number is 403-974-8255. At Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Right across the province, one 800 563-7770. I'll be back with Premier Jason Kenney and more of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. Welcome back. Your Province, Your Premier. I'm your host and moderator, Wayne Nelson, and this is your opportunity to voice your concerns, to address issues you feel are important, to speak with Premier Jason Kenney one-on-one, probably for the last time as Premier. Premier Jason Kenney joins us now, and we're going to go right to the phones. We're going to go to Roy in Edmonton. Uh, Roy, go ahead. You're on with Premier Kenney. Now, um, Mr. Premier and Wayne, what I want to know is you said on this very broadcast that you uh, want to uh, finish off your degree. Uh, would it be because you didn't finish it in California? Would it be a nice uh, neutral thing to sort of heal the rift between the advanced education ministry and the Athabasca University if you became uh, the second premier in Alberta <laughs> history to have a degree from Athabasca University along with your distinguished uh, hero Ralph Klein? I think that would be a wonderful thing in tribute to the province if you were to do that. Good, good point. Maybe take a fort in Athabasca. You can live in Athabasca for a couple of weeks. Do one of the courses there. Absolutely, good point. Uh, you know, wh- why not? It's, it gives you the flexibility of studying. So, uh, um, I give it. I'd absolutely give it a thought. I, in fact, I have in the past. Uh, what you're referring, what he's referring to, Wayne, is that um, uh, Peter Lougheed opened Athabasca University in Athabasca. Uh, about uh, 40 some years ago uh, with a commitment that it would be based in the town there and part of the bro- government's broader vision of, of rural economic development where the Lougheed government very purposely located a, a lot of provincial assets in, in rural communities thinking that that the city should not be the only ones to benefit from taxpayer spending. And uh, there's been uh, ongoing tension uh, under under repeated governments about efforts to basically move much of the operations of the university out of there. But uh, uh, we hope that, you know, I made a commitment that most of the operations can and should be located in the town. But uh, for sure, I'd consider uh, signing up for an AU program. All right. Nick is calling from Calgary on uh, COVID booster shots. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, good morning, uh, Mr. Kenny. Thanks for uh, for uh, having done this program. I appreciate that. Um, to actually, just so that I'm clear on something, you will still be sitting in the sl- in the legislature after the uh, change in leadership, will you not? 
Uh, well, that's my intention, uh, and I, yeah. I frankly don't know for how long, and a part of that depends on who the new leader is and uh, things like that. That's okay. No, but you will still be at least an MLA, yeah. yeah we, so no. so here's how it rolls. Just just to be clear, um, there would be, a, a, after the leadership results are revealed uh, next Thursday night, I would then go to the lieutenant governor, offer my resignation, and advise the lieutenant governor to invite the winner of that election to test the confidence of the legislature uh, and to form an administration. And then I, um, then that would be scheduled sometime later. It's usually, you know, they're usually the transition time in, the, in Canada is about 10 days, give or take. And then um, then after that, when the new per- premier and executive councillor sworn in, I, I'm still a member of the Legislative Assembly for Calgary Lougheed. Okay, perfect. Yeah. No, the fact you will still be an MLA, maybe that's maybe more so the reason why I'm calling. Um, no, I was hoping that maybe I can uh, um, suggest to you if you can take a look at uh, uh, changing the, uh, the eligibility criteria for this uh, bivalent uh, vaccine from five months to three. Like, I'm, I'm 57, I've received all four shots. But uh, admittedly, when I booked my my fourth shot, I was expressing some uh, hesitancy in booking it because I was saying that, look, that fourth Pfizer dose wasn't really doing much as far as protecting against Omicron. And um, the lady at HealthLink was saying, well, you know, we don't know what uh, how far in advance this uh, bivalent vaccine is going to be available and, and what the distribution criteria is going to be. So you're just better off getting the, the shot. So I did. But I'm kind of expressing some regret now because now I have to wait five months instead of the the previous three months that I did for the other shots. Um, like, there's not as if there's a big uh, run on demand here. Um, you know, by the time I'm eligible uh, for my fifth, uh, for that extra dose, like, we'll, I'll, it'll be well into the new year, by which case, like, we could already be in, a, in an extra wave here of, of Omicron, mm-hmm. of, of which this new vaccine will be pro- uh, providing protection. So, yeah, I just wanted to plant that idea and, and with sure. you. Sure. Thank you, Nick. Uh, so... What we've heard from the scientific experts, including the National Advisory Committee and the Alberta Advisory Committee on Immunization, plus our own public health people, reading the data around the world, is that as, as a, unless you're talking about people who are severely immunocompromised and have unique risks, uh, generally you don't want uh, to have too many doses too quick together. And there, there has been some speculation that they may that may actually, in the long run, reduce uh, protection. Um, and I, I, what I read, and I'm advised that I think where the epidemiologists want to go on this is something like an annual, making available an annual shot, like we've had for the flu, that is slightly adjusted each year, but not have people in the mind frame where they're they're getting a sh- another shot every three months. One of the reasons that we opened um, the fourth dose availability in the summer, rather than waiting for the bivalent that, that could, is better at addressing some of the Omicron subvariants, is because we we were concerned about a, a fall uh, a flu a spike that, that could happen in September, October, that could start to put more pressure on our already overstressed hospitals. So, yep. And I think we're already seeing a little bit of an uptick on that, according to uh, latest reports, uh, Mr. Premier. We've yeah. got... Uh, uh, another 134 Albertans admitted to hospital, and 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 really, uh, the hospital system is a little bit nervous about what's coming down the pike this fall. Yeah, uh, and look, there's a lot of re- we're up 15 percent in emergency visits from uh, pre-COVID time. 
Uh, and the cases that are showing up in the hospitals have what they call higher acuity, that is people with worse medical conditions. And we think part of that is a lot of people avoided coming to hospital during COVID. Uh, so on top of that, the stress that uh, healthcare workers have gone through during COVID, and you, you add it all, plus retirements as boomers retire, you add it all up. And this is a problem right across the country. Anyway, on, on the vaccines, we fought, Nick, we followed the advice of the uh, scientific experts and... Um, I don't know if the next government will do that, uh, but uh, we'll see. All right. I want to go to the text uh, lines right now. Mr. Premier, we've got uh, one coming in. I believe it's from Brooks. Uh, What was the point of shutting down all the agriculture research and extension programs? It seemed like a small price to pay for the second largest industry. Nothing was privatized. Some programs were transferred to colleges and universities, but most were outright canceled. It appeared to be a very much ad hoc bull in a china shop approach without any cost benefit analysis or consultation uh, and cutting for the sake of cutting, not good methodical governing. Okay, thank you. The answer is the consultation on that was in the last election because we committed in our platform to change our Alberta's approach to uh, prioritizing uh, agricultural research. Before that, it was you know driven by uh, bureaucrats and academics, and and we said that we would consult broadly in the ag sector to identify the priorities of farmers. What what are the areas where they they most need uh, research help? And uh, so we we've. Uh, actually taken a much more consultative approach in um, allocating uh, ag research funding. And and let me just celebrate the fact that Alberta Ag is uh, on a real tear right now. I mean, uh, last year was the best overall cash receipts in Alberta history. This year, we may have, for many crops, record yields province-wide at good prices. It's true that input costs are high too, but, you know, when uh, wheat's at 12 and canola's at uh, 25-ish, um, you're making money, and I've, I've been talking to some farmers uh, getting the best yields they've ever had. So, uh, and we've got we've attracted one point I think 1.8 billion dollars in new agri-food uh, and food processing value-added projects in the province. Uh, we're doing the policy work on potentially a, in a targeted incentive similar to what Saskatchewan has for uh, value-added in egg. And uh, so there's I mean, and I don't mean to say it's all. Um, you know, uh, a bed of roses out there. A lot of farmers continue to struggle. Some have had bad weather, but generally the industry is doing very well. All right. And our texter added a quick PS. Thanks for coming to RBC Cup final game in Brooks. Uh, okay. Off to uh, Brian in Calgary. Brian is uh, calling regarding Keystone. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, good morning, Premier. Morning. Uh, Premier, you and I chatted. I'm sure you're going to remember this chat on your show a couple of months ago. Uh, I suggested that we put a surcharge on every barrel of oil at Ghost Alberta destined for the U.S. until our Keystone uh, cancellation costs are covered, the $1.3 or so billion dollars that it cost Albertans uh, when the Democrats killed Keystone yet again. Uh, you committed to take it back to your team and check into it. I'm just wondering if you were able to do that and what the discussions were like. Sorry, Brian. Uh, the to take what back to the team on the uh, Keystone loss? Uh, it's to uh, my suggestion was to put a surcharge. Oh yeah, on Alberta oil going to the U.S. until those costs are recovered. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. So, um, you know, Brian, uh, that's interesting. But the problem, the problem is, if you do something like that, first of all, uh, we'd be in violation of our NAFTA and now Kusma 
trade obligations, and they could have a pretty clear shot at challenging that. Um, secondly, I know the producers uh, and the sh shippers, like the pipeline companies, would be opposed to that uh, because it screws up their their pricing and economics and market access. And if we if if such a tariff were to be too high, it would just render us uncompetitive. Uh, I mean, I know of course there is they 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 make a good arbitrage on our oil with the differential, which has been lower recently than uh, historically, around been bouncing around twenty bucks, but. Um, you know, if we have a, too much of a price gap between ourselves and some of their other uh, import uh, suppliers, then they would just buy more, you know, Venezuelan or OPEC oil. So I'm not sure that would be to our advantage. But we are in the legal challenge. We we are alongside uh, TC Energy uh, doing a, a legal challenge to reclaim the losses. And as you can see in the U.S., I mean, this is still very much a live issue. Um, that, that was evident when I appeared at the U.S. Senate Energy Committee uh, in May. Uh, I believe that after the forthcoming congressional midterm elections, there may be a majority, perhaps even a supermajority uh, in the House of Representatives and a majority in the Senate that support uh, coming back to KXL. So or something like it, a major Canada U.S. pipeline. But thanks for raising the question. All right. Back to the phones. And uh, Chris is calling from Edmonton. Go ahead, Chris. You're on with Premier Kenny. Good morning, Premier Kenny. Thanks for your service. Um, my question uh, has to do with the Constitution. Uh, my sense is that Alberta will never be able to amend the Constitution. And, uh, and so my question to you is, how do we get a better deal for Alberta in the House of Commons in terms of representation in the Senate, in the Supreme Court, uh, given that there's no real constitutional amendment that's going to be possible? Mm -hmm. Well... Very good question. Uh, constitutional amendments may be possible in the future, but they won't be unilateral with just Alberta deciding, of course. There will always be haggling, and that's what that's why people don't reopen it, because of the, how that became a bit of a disaster, a fiasco during Meech and Charlottetown 30-some uh, years ago. I would just say on your points, uh, Alberta has won more seats in the House of Commons. I think it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken... Uh, Four more with with uh, Prime Minister Harper. Uh, there is actually a, 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 tr a bill from the current government to add more seats for Alberta. And uh, in this the Supreme Court, we don't have any complaints, to be honest with you right now, because two of the nine, you know, we have 12% of the country's population, but 25% of the nine Supreme Court justices are Albertans. Um, Senate, very frustrating that small provinces like New Brunswick and PEI have 10 and we have uh, six. Uh, that goes back, of course, to the terms that we agreed to at uh, 1905. Um, and, and unfortunately, the Supreme Court itself has said that, that that can't be changed by legislation. So, look, these are perennial issues for Alberta. And we, we have to just continue pushing for those things and advocating for them. What I have found is that, that Alberta is strongest when we find allies across the Federation, as we have done on fighting the federal carbon tax, on fighting the Bill C-69, no more pipelines law, uh, on fighting the plastics ban, on right now and fighting the gun grab. Um, so I, I, my advice to any future Alberta government is do not isolate yourself. We are much easier to pick off, for Ottawa to pick off, if we stand alone. We need to find friends and common um, interests across the Federation. We've done that on a bunch of issues. For example, the single most important constitutional issue for Alberta, perhaps in decades, will be the Supreme Court of Canada decision on the appeal of our huge victory at the appeal court a striking down uh, the C-69 Impact Assessment Act uh, this spring on a four-to-one decision at the Alberta Appeal Court. And uh, I worked 
um, very hard successfully to get all nine other provinces lined up with us, including Quebec. And to be blunt, that means when the three Quebec justices look at that appeal, they're going to have a very, I think, they will take very seriously the provincial perspective because Quebec is alongside us. So that's how I think we fight um, on these, some of these constitutional issues. All right. Uh, text message. If the new leader of the UCP is not already an elected MLA, how will that work? Well, it wouldn't be the first time that somebody becomes uh, a party leader outside of the legislature, and, and then it's up to that person. I mean, the the expectation, it, I, I'm not quite sure if it reaches the level of a constitutional convention, but certainly the, the tradition is for um, a leader who does not have a seat to seek a, a constituency to represent at the earliest opportunity. And uh, so that's that's the principle. Um, you, you now, uh, technically, technically, a government can operate without the head of government being in the assembly. But if that goes on for, for very long, you start to get into some gray zone in terms of the, the constitutional conventions. Another text... Uh, this one uh, coming from Calgary. Mr. Premier, we continue to hear about shortages in medical doctors' supply. Rather than opening up more spaces to immigrants, why do we not open more spaces in our provincial universities to have that Alberta advantage? Uh, could, could you repeat, Wayne? I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that he's uh, asking why don't we open up uh, more spaces in our provincial universities for uh, for immigrant doctors? Oh, okay. Well, um to, to address the shortage. For sure, for sure. So there are a bunch of bridging programs for foreign medical graduates uh, that um, bridging them either into uh, other positions like being paramedics, et cetera, but also um, we, we have taken a lot of measures to accelerate credential recognition for foreign trained professionals, including uh, healthcare workers. And I'll give you a heads up. Later this week, I will be signing an MOU um, with uh, another country to um, offer bridging programs to accelerate the, the credentialing of nurses from that country who are both in Alberta and will be immigrating here in the future. And so, yeah, there are avenues for those docs to get in. But frankly, we have a lot of Canadian-born kids uh, who ha end up going to foreign medical colleges because um, they don't get into our own medical uh, faculties. So, you know, we are looking, but the, the chokehold is actually not so much on admissions to the faculties of medicine. The, 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 the chokehold, if you will, the bottleneck is on the availability of residencies. And you need more senior doctors to be involved in those residencies to train uh, uh, new, new doctors. So it's it, we are trying to unblock that and expand that um, that pipeline, if you will, of uh, both foreign and domestic graduates of medicine to have access to residencies so they can get a license to practice. All right. Don is calling in from Edmonton. Uh, go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hi, Premier Kenny. I have a question for you. So the um, technology that we had in Alberta that uh, would make coal-fired plants uh, burn cleaner than natural gas or the equivalent of. I was looking at some stats in the world and 5% uh, of the coal-fired power plants are producing 73% of the, uh, the world's emissions. 
So is there any way that we could de- finish developing that? T- well, the technology is already developed, but start mass producing it so it could be exported? Because seeing that uh, Joe down in the States, which he said he was going to do in February, uh, decided to take out Nord Stream 1 and 2, so that's going to cause more countries now to go back to coal, which will create more emissions, well, including the pipelines that were leaking methane gas into the atmosphere. So, Don, is your question about uh, clean coal tech exports? Yeah. Okay. Like taking the technology yeah. and exporting it to other countries. 100%. To clean up the, well, uh, the atmosphere. Well, that's something that I definitely ran on. And I, I was, you know, I ran on the principle that rather than rushing to shut down our coal plants, we should share our clean coal tech and export that to actually have a meaningful impact on reducing global emissions. But here's the reality, Don. Um, the electricity producers in Alberta... Uh, made a market decision, uh, to be fair, it was based on all of the political and policy uh, uh, tea leaves from both Ottawa and the NDP government, and the markets, to be fair. To be fair, the capital markets generally will not provide capital, either debt or equity, to companies that um, are continuing to produce power with thermal coal. And uh, that's all part of ESG, and it's 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 part of of them, you know, seeing governments trying to ban thermal coal. So you may you saw our power producers here make a decision rapidly to transition from thermal coal to natural gas, and within a couple of years, we won't be producing any more electricity in Alberta on thermal coal. They've they've made billions of dollars of capital investments. Uh, in gasification generally. So uh, we won't have co- we will no longer have coal technology here. Um, and you know, we can look back at that and debate it, but that is a market decision. When I talk to them, they have no interest in going back to it. I mean, if you want to make a lemonade, uh, make lemonade out of the lemon here, it's that uh, this does mean um, an, an increase in sustainable demand for Alberta natural gas, which is good for the whole oil and gas industry. but uh, yeah, we're we're getting out of thermal coal. That's just how it is. Okay, thanks very much, Don. Uh, we'll go back to the phones. And who are we going to talk to here? Let me push this right button, make sure we get it. Stuart. Stuart, you've been on for a while. Stuart's calling from uh, Edmonton area, looks like. Go ahead, Stuart. Yes, good morning, and thank you for your service, Mr. Premier. Uh, my, my question is that uh, my wife was a nurse for 35 years, and she's done her duty. And, of course, now with our age, we've worked all of our life to save up for retirement. And unfortunately, she's got to get the bones replaced, hips and knees. To date, we've spent $75,000 because there is no service whatsoever in Alberta unless you want to wait one, two, or three years. And we've gone to private clinics. So whenever it comes to private clinics, the MRIs at private clinics in Alberta sit dormant while we have to wait maybe nine to 12 months to get an MRI. But yet, whenever we go to a private clinic in Quebec, uh, we can get in there within a matter of weeks in order to get these uh, hips and knees replaced. So my question is, uh, why are we not subsidizing private clinics in order to get over the hump? Th- thank you, Stuart. I'm sorry to hear about your, your wife's uh, challenges, and I my heart goes out to folks who are in these um, unacceptably long surgical wait queues. What I would say, and first of all, I, I wasn't aware that I thought people in Alberta could pay out of pocket for MRIs. I thought that has been the case since Ralph Klein's day, so I've got to look into that. Secondly, we are building, as, as 
we have the strategy that we ran on called the Alberta Surgical Initiative uh, to more than double the number of surgeries that are performed in privately owned and operated surgical facilities, uh, if you will, privately owned surgical hospitals. Uh, we call them chartered surgical facilities, and, and uh, we have done that in a number of areas. We were held back in COVID, so we didn't see as much progress as we were planning for. But uh, right now, for example, in a partnership, there's a private sector partnership with the Enoch First Nation next to Edmonton uh, to build a, um, a, a private surgical facility that will be doing joint, joint surgery. Now that will all be, all the surgeries done there will be publicly insured, but it increases our overall capacity. And those uh, private hospitals generally operate more efficiently. They have different labor arrangements. They make much better use of the capital there, by which I mean the, the the government hospitals, you know, the managers, because they're unlimited budgets, tell the surgeons you can only book a couple of surgeries in this OR on a given day, but there are not those limitations in a chartered surgical facility. So um, we are moving in that direction. And um, in my view, if MRIs are not part of that, they absolutely should be. And um, because it's diagnostic, I, I see no reason. It's not, uh, you know, people should be able to pay for that. I mean, for God's sakes, we've had a situation in many parts of Canada in the past where it was easier to get uh, an X-ray or an MRI for a, a pet than a person. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. Absolutely. Stuart, thanks for the call. Uh, Justin, uh Justin, I've been kind of holding off on on uh, on taking your call because uh, I was hoping to end the show with uh, I believe what your question is, but let's take it. Uh, we can we can come back and follow up on that. Justin is calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Justin. You're on with Premier Kenny. Good morning, Premier Kenny. Good morning. So, what advice would you give to the next incoming premier, given the or given your experience over the last three years? <laughs> Well, I'm not sure the next premier will ask for my advice, um, <laughs> but I would say, you know, I'm, I guess my advice generally, I'll repeat what I've said publicly before, which is Alberta is on a roll. Almost everything is going right for the province right now. We are experiencing a true economic renaissance. We are leading the country in economic and job growth in 150 160 billion dollars in new investment we see diversification happening like unlike ever before right across the economy from tech and film and television to aviation to hydrogen uh to agri-food you name it uh, we uh, have allies across the country supporting our fight against ottawa on what we think are damaging policies we last in the last quarter, that is to say, second quarter of this year, according to StatsCan, we saw the single fastest or highest population growth in a three-month period in the history of Alberta. People are flooding to this province because of the opportunities it provides and the affordable cost of living versus other large population provinces. We are in so many ways the envy of the country and the envy of the world. So I would say to the next premier, don't put it at risk. Don't drive into a ditch of division, of discord, of contention. Um, don't make rash decisions that can scare away and impair investment and job creation and make those Canadians coming here wonder what Alberta is, whether Alberta is actually a welcoming part of Canada. All right. Uh, just a quick follow-up, a text message to our last caller. Uh, Carol says, you can definitely pay out-of-pocket for an MRI here and get it within days. I know, 
I inquired. And that's from Carol. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Thank you, Carol. We're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Jason Kenney. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier. This is the final show with Premier Jason Kenney, but it may not be the final show of Your Province, Your Premier. By this time next week, Albertans will have a new premier following Thursday's election by the United Conservative Party of one of the candidates in the running for the leadership. So the opportunity is certainly there for the next UCP leader who will be our next premier to continue this weekly broadcast, so stay tuned. In the meantime, let's go back to the phones with the Premier Jason Kenney, and we're going to hear from Kim calling from Calgary. Go ahead, Kim. Hi. Um, I was. My question is, um, what do you foresee for the short-term future of the UCP? Um, short-term referring to this side of next year's provincial election, and for the longer-term future referring to the other side of next year's provincial election, um, especially when we um, sometimes hear the C in UCP being replaced with convoy, COVID, and yeah. criminal instead of conservative. <laughs> Very good question. Don't have a crystal ball. Um, what can I say? I, I'll just say this, if the, and I'll repeat what I've said before publicly. If the party uh, and government uh, swing away from the broad mainstream of Alberta uh, and become obsessed with or informed by the... Um, separatist or anti-science views of a very small minority, then I don't see a path to getting reelected. Premier Kenny, on our very first show, those many months ago, I believe my very first question had to do with the big tent that the Conservative Party uh, envelops, the UCP. Is the tent too big? Do we need to refine it and let those um, right or, or left-wing uh, factions go their own way? Yeah, well, in a way, Wayne, I, I, here's my vision. If it, it was always to be a mainstream party that, that reflects the broad mainstream of Alberta society. We've always had, like in every democracy, you have people that are kind of on the fringes, fringes, excuse me. And in Alberta, we've always had, even during the times of Peter Lougheed and Ralph Klein, um, uh, kind of fairly extreme alt-right parties that would get well, you know, Derek Fildebrand's party in the last election got, I think, what it was at 1.8% of the vote. And sometimes parties like that, separatists slash fringe parties, would get, you know, 6, 7, 8% of the vote. Uh, so there's always been, um, you know, a, 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 a cohort of our electorate in Alberta that want to uh, just burn down the house and blow things up. Um, but I, I think that's a, a relatively small uh, minority. And I think, I think my... Any party that wants to win the confidence of the electorate needs to be rooted in the ordinary concerns of regular people. And uh, not to say that our government's done that uh, perfectly. Uh, you can't, by the way, obviously in a democracy, you can't satisfy 100% of the people 100% of the time. No. But uh, yeah, my, my advice to any party leader, any government is uh, you've got to be intentional, uh, intentional, excuse me, about staying in the broad mainstream. Are you concerned that... Our democratic system here in Alberta has just become a two-party system for all intents and purposes. We have the New Democratic Party and we have the UCP. The Liberals uh, basically have fallen by the wayside. The Wild Rose, uh, the Alberta Party, uh, really insignificant when it comes to the, the greater political picture. 
Well, that could change quickly. I mean, it, it certainly has in our past and it has in other provinces. Uh, I remember back in, I think it was 1991, uh, the BC Liberal Party went from a tiny marginal afterthought to official opposition to government in like the space of a few years and you know those things happen right now in quebec the conservative party was a tiny afterthought and right now they're in second place pulling well over 20 percent so uh, you know that's the that's one of the amazing things about democracy at the end of the day the voters decide wayne and i i can't predict what might happen what might happen in the future all right text message from bob in my opinion our health care system across canada would be top-notch if medical supplies were not so ridiculously expensive we pay probably 10 times what materials are worth right down to garbage cans. Such a waste of taxpayers' money that could be used for great medical attention. Nobody talks about this gouging. Uh, for, for medical equipment? Well, um, well, thank you for the question. I would just say that one of the advantages, there may be some disadvantages to having one central health administration in Alberta through AHS, and I do believe there's an argument for more, some more local decision-making on a regional basis. But one of the positives we get out of the central administration is much greater purchasing power uh, for procurement. We are actually one of the largest purchasers of medical equipment and supplies in the world, serving a market of 4.5 million people. And that proved, that uh, served us well during COVID. You, you may recall that we were the one of the only provinces that never ran out of certain medical supplies. We, in fact, had such a surplus, we were able to share it. And that comes back to our purchasing power. So I do think we get um, better prices than, than most uh, provinces on medical equipment. All right. Our phone calls. Uh, Diane calling from Calgary. Go ahead, Diane. You're on with Premier Kenny. Mr. Kenny, I just uh, basically wanted to thank you for uh, all our friends and family who apparently haven't been in those surveys for your ratings, because if we were, your ratings would be a lot higher, and uh, sometimes I'm just wondering how these surveys do work. But I basically wanted to thank you for your service. I think you've done a remarkably great job, and I'm really sorry that you're not going to be around to follow up on all your successes here. I really don't think it's uh, fair, and uh, I'm quite surprised at the population of Alberta because it seems the more you give them, the more they want to take and the more they demand. And I just don't understand it very much, but I do wish you the best, and I do hope that you do come back because I think those numbers really can be skewed sometimes, <laughs> and I really do hope you come back and run again because I think... You've accomplished more in the time you've been here, despite all the unfair criticism. And I really commend you for thank it. Thank you, Helen. That, you just made my day. And to be clear, Wayne, Helen is not my mom. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. And I don't think I've met Helen, but thank, that's really kind of you. And uh, all I can tell you, Helen, is I'm leaving without regrets. And I've been in elected life for 25 years. And even before that, I was with the president of the Taxpayers Federation in the public eye. So it's like 30 years of my life out there in the public eye or in elected office, much of that time in very high-pressure jobs. And so I am uh, elated to be having a chance to move on with a second act in my life and, and have more uh, personal freedom, if, uh, if you will. One but, final question from me, Mr. Premier. Ahead, As you look back, and you alluded to that, what would you have done differently, if anything, during your tenure as Premier? Oh, Wayne, um, I, I, how about you wait for my memoirs on that? Um, <laughs> that much? <laughs> uh, 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 let me just, you know, 
we took I try to take a different approach to caucus management than is normal in Canada with much wider ambit for a, a freedom of action and 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 uh, dissent than is the convention. And I think I would reflect on whether that uh, served the public interest or not. I mean, um, you look at other uh, governments, uh, Premier Ford's, Premier Moe's, uh, right across the country, where you have a, a stronger coherence and, and teamwork. I mean, Premier Ford uh, removed six MPPs who were critical of government uh, COVID policy. They went and formed two alt-right parties that between them got, I think, 2% of the vote. Um, so I, I think... Uh, uh, maybe I should have been more like Stephen Harper in that respect. All right. Premier Kenny, it's uh, it's time. Uh, it has been a pleasure chatting with you on this show on these past few months, and all the best in your future endeavors. Hey, thank you so much, Wayne. I've really enjoyed this program. I think I told you when we started it, I've always thought that maybe in my post-political career, I'd end up behind a microphone doing a, a radio show. So who knows? Maybe uh, I'll be joining you in the studio. I'm, I'm just kidding, but I, 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 I love the format. It's a great way to be in touch with people, and, and uh, thanks for being a great host. Thank you, and all the best once again in your future endeavors. I'm Wayne Nelson. You have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.